Welcome to the GenesisChurch.tv podcast with Scott Hunter. I'm your host, lead pastor of Genesis, Scott Hunter. Today we're broadcasting a replay of the finale of our series called My Ikea Life. We're dealing specifically with battling anxiety using God's helpline, the Word of God. We'll be looking at the Apostle Paul as he dealt with making major decisions that would shape the future of God's church. I pray this message brings you hope and healing today. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the final week of My Ikea Life. We've been dealing with messy life and what that looks like when anxiety results from it. So what we've been teaching as followers of Jesus, we know that we don't have to remain frustrated. We don't have to be worry-ridden because we have direct access to God and to His helpline, prayer, the Word. Those are the things that give us direction on how to reset our lives and kind of put everything back together. And Jesus teaches us through Paul that we can rejoice no matter what circumstance we're living through. So that's our text. That's what's driving this conversation. And it all comes from Philippians chapter 4. If you want to go there, you can in your Bibles. But God, I'm going to read it with you. It's going to be on the screen one last time to remind you, as we experience the power of God's word, this is coming from Paul, and he's writing to his friends in Philippi, while he's sitting in a Roman prison, while he's waiting possible execution, and if there's anybody that had the, the right to be anxious or the ability to feel pressure, <laughs> it's Paul, because he's tied up to a Roman guard every 24 hours, and here is what he's going through. But instead of whining, instead of freaking out, instead of feeling like all is lost, he writes these words, rejoice and the Lord always. Again, I say it again, rejoice. I love that. He's like, if you didn't hear me the first time, <gasps> rejoice, all right? Let your gentleness be evident to all. Remember week one, the Lord is near. God spoke to Elijah in the whisper on the edge of a cave. He said, I am near. The Lord is near. Why does the Lord whisper? Because he's close. He doesn't have to shout. The Apostle Paul says, therefore, if he's that close, then do not be anxious for anything, but in what? In every situation. If you're worried about your job, if you're worried about the economy blowing up, if you're worried, like, because that's something new to worry about, right? If you have no clue what you're going to do after this two weeks are over and you're like out of high school, <laughs> no matter what you're going through, God is near. And he says, and in every situation, by prayer, petition, meaning letting God know what's going on in your heart and your mind by you speaking it out. He says, come to me with thanksgiving. Pre-think me for what I'm about to do. He says, here's what we got to do. Present a request to God. And then what's awesome is that the peace of God, which passes, transcends, goes beyond what you and I can intellectually even comprehend. It goes beyond our own understanding. That peace will rush over us and will guard our hearts, guard our minds in Christ Jesus. What a powerful scripture. In every situation, he says, present your request to God. But we say, instead of getting it off our chest, letting you know, it out and speaking to God, we, we say instead, well, my mind's racing, or, or, or I feel overwhelmed, or I just feel this heaviness just sitting on my chest, right? I feel this pressure. I'm afraid. 
And we tell ourselves that stuff over and over and over again. And the more that I do research on this, I find out that one of the biggest forms of anxiety that culture right now is, is all facing is the decision-making anxiety. We think, what I have to do next is this major decision, and, and, and I just don't want to get it wrong. I'm afraid of making an irreversibly bad decision. So what we're tackling today is when you just can't decide. So let's pause for a moment. I want to ask the Lord just to give us peace, to give us complete focus in this moment, and allow God just to speak a word to our hearts. Heavenly Father, I, I just pray for those today, Lord, that are going to have decisions to make. Right now, those that are feeling the pressure. Lord, as I spoke those words, when you just can't decide, Lord, it just hit some people in this room, and they're just automatically, Lord, walls going up, things start running through their head. Lord, I just pray a peace right now over their minds. Allow us all to focus on this room, to dive into your word. Lord, allow your supernatural peace go beyond our human ability to understand right now. Remind us every day that you're directing our steps. God, that we can, no matter what we face, we can trust you. We're leaning into you right now. It's in your son's name we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Why is decision-making so complicated? For those of you who have decisions to make, I wonder if you're like me and, and you get a little bit of anxiety about it, about the decisions you got to make. Uh, decision-making sometimes feels complicated, overcomplicated. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, like half of you? All right, so that's good. I'll talk to this half. All right, so we're like, do I stay in this job? Do I leave this job, right? Do I stay in this city? Do I move somewhere else? Do I further my education in school? And if I do, what school do I choose? Do I pick the one that I really want that's super expensive? Or do I do like the, the junior college and, and get my credits and it's not as great as school, but I still have the education because I don't want to be in debt. And if I'm not in debt, do I keep renting this house or am I going to invest into it and buy the house? Or do I keep this car and I just keep praying every day that it stays alive, right? My clunker that turns on and every time I turn the key or press the button, it's just building my faith, right? It's just building my faith for Jesus. Lord, let it start, right? And, and that's how I drive top of this car. Um, Lord, should I invest in a better car? Or some of you might be saying, should I continue to date this guy? My friends are telling me he's Mr. No Commit. Or should I cut my losses and hope that the cute guy that has the Genesis sticker on the back of his window of his car that's in the parking lot at my job will just, Lord, somehow talk to me today and the heavens will, will open and then, Lord, there will be ringing bells and, and, Lord, everything will be perfect. I just don't know what to do. Because it all feels so overwhelming, Right? Listen, I've been struggling in some major decisions here at the church in my life. If you're a noob here at Genesis and you've been here a few times, you might think that the pastors are all perfect. Uh, let me just set that record straight today. Uh, no, right? This is me, and this year has been a year that decisions have been dumped on me. Life has been, like, handed to me over and over, and I've just been anxiety-ridden. So, like, I'm preaching to myself today. And one of the big things that I was struggling with is decision-making was this past surgery. Uh, and, and I've been out for a whole whopping week and a half, um, and I had to have a bone graft so they could put a new screw into my leg. And then they had to fill in the big hole with the bolt that they put through that they took out. Um, and then there was a, a meniscus fixer upper job because they didn't fix it the first time. So 
I was told that if they had to go in to fix the meniscus, like repair, repair, like sew it back together kind of garbage, um, then I would not be walking for six weeks at all. Um, but bam. All right, I just want to do a little turn. I had no idea what would result from this. And so, like, it's like a guessing game, right? So, uh, I'm like, I don't know how painful that's going to be. I don't know, like, the last time everything got their tools and instruments. But two, I also took, um, it's called an allograph, and it's basically a piece of cadaver that was my um, new ACL. And that got infected, and, and so, Instead of them breaking my hip, crunching it up, and filling in the bone, I opted to take a cadaver because the doctor swore that it wouldn't get infected. And so I'm holding my breath in all of this, right? Because the last time that they swore, nothing like that ever happens, was six weeks, uh, or, or sorry, uh, and one year of craziness, and uh, it was a mess. And I ran fevers for five weeks, and I was out of the pulpit for eight weeks. Um, and the thing that dealing with and I have been dealing with wasn't the pain and it wasn't the almost like anxiety of, you know, is it going to work out? The biggest thing that I was worried about was scheduling. I know that sounds really dumb, but as a pastor who runs a church, who lives by and dies by a calendar um, for his family and for here and for Shine Tallahassee, like I was like, what if it gets infected again? Right? What if I can't function? What if I can't walk? Last time I was out for eight weeks, like not at all. Uh, and I'm thinking, this whole year, where do I fit the surgery? Like, where can I put this in at if I have to have, like, extended recovery time where it's not going to mess up fall launch or Christmas or Night to Shine Prom or Easter? Like, the last time I was gone all summer. So what if I can't preach? What if I can't take care of you? Would you all leave, right? So I was in this mentality that we're just emerging from... Um, this pandemic, and it's been a mess, and we can't afford to go backwards, right? Because then the church falls apart. So it's like all these things race through my mind, and I'm like, do I just even do this surgery? And so this entire year has been giving me anxiety. Do you know how many times I've scheduled the surgery and quit it? Three. So this might be exactly where you live. Like you have something complicated and, and you're not sure what to do, those that are in high school, those that are in college and emerging right now from college, the researchers say about your generation, Generation Z, that you are the most stressed out generation in the history of the earth. This is called the age of anxiety that we're living in right now because there's so many complications. So I want to try to answer this question, why are we so anxious around decision-making? And I'm going to give you two big reasons. I know there's more, but here's two biggies. Why is it so complicated? Number one, we have too many choices. Number one, that's the bottom line. It's called the paradox of choices, right? We think that if we have a bunch of different options, we have a bunch of different choices, then it's going to be easier just to pick one, right? Not true at all, right? Example, you're scrolling through Amazon. How much content can you possibly have, right? Or you're on Netflix, and you're like, how many things can I pick to watch? A bazillion and one, right? Versus I give you 10 Blu-rays, or I say, here's five shirts, pick one. So much easier, right? Makes sense? 
So as I was researching this paradox of choices, I read this article, and then I read another article, and then I read another article, and you know what? One stat kept coming up in every single thing that I read, and it's this. Children make 5,000 decisions a day. Adults make 35,000 decisions a day. No wonder why we're stressed out. For me, it's preach on anything you want. Nope. That gives me total anxiety. You know how many subjects there are that we need to deal with as a church? Do you know how many subjects there are just in the Bible alone, not to mention culture, right? So what do we do as a staff? We do this one idea planning. We've been doing it for years. It happens this Wednesday. My whole staff comes together. We all pitch ideas about what message series or where we believe the Lord is leading us, what the Lord wants us to talk about and, and teach about this year. And then once we get it all settled, then we fit it all into the calendar nice and neatly alongside of seasons and all the different events that we do. And then we put in every single event that your church will do, do over 2022 and 2023 school year, right? So that means events from Shine and students and kids and special needs and college and men's ministry, women's ministry, G groups, DLT, and every gathering and every major holiday and every major meeting that goes on the calendar, not to mention Night to Shine Prom. All of it so that your pastor does not freak out right so yeah see getting a target brings down the anxiety why are we anxious because there's a bazillion choices there's a bazillion things to do and information is coming faster to you than it ever has been in the entire history of the earth second thing that i think makes us have anxiety is that we're totally afraid of making a mistake right we're afraid of not just making a mistake, but a costly mistake. We're, we're afraid of missing out, making the wrong turn, doing something that's going to screw up our life. In spiritual terms, we have like God's will FOMO. We're so afraid that we're going to miss out on God's will because we think that we've got to go and try to find it instead of just walking with God in relationship and realizing that we're in the will of God as we just have a relationship with him. Why do we feel this way? Because there's so much pressure to get all of it right, right? Culture says... When it comes to marriage, you got to find the one. If you don't find the one, boom, you're done for, right? Your spiritual devotional book says you got to find your purpose. You have a purpose in this life. you got to find that purpose, right? Then your preacher comes along and says, live in God's will. Keep living in God's will. And you're like, ah, right? So that hurt. All right. And then in the front of your mind, you're, you're worried like, well, what if I don't find the one? Or what if I didn't marry the one, right? Or what if I don't find my purpose? What if I'm doing the wrong thing? Or what if I'm making a mistake and it, and it blows up in my face and I'm not walking in God's will? Like, what if that person that's three rows ahead of me is the one? Because Lord, I saw her. She was just worshiping with her left worship hand and there was not a ring on that finger. And what if I'm just too scared to talk to her? And then she walks out and I never see her again. I will be worshiping all alone for the rest of my life. Like, that's how we think, right? Or when it comes to purpose and God's will, we sincerely believe, like, I don't want to let somebody down. I don't want to let my mentor down. Uh, Lord, I don't want to, to hurt you. I don't want to make the wrong choice. I don't want to take something that's going to reroute my life. Instead of going from A to B, I go, you know, from A, A1, A2, A3, A4, A5, A6, A7, A8. A, oh, there's B way over there. And I have to go like this to get to where I was just supposed to go in the first place. That's where we go. And so what happens is we hesitate. We stall. We do what I do with my surgeries, and I scheduled it three times. We procrastinate because we're indecisive. 
The indecision is a decision. So we're like, yes, or no, or I'm not sure. And, and we walk around like this erratic, crazy person, and then we just don't do anything because it's the easiest decision to make, right? And that's the decision people are making today. It's just so complicated that it's exhausting. So what I want to do today is this anxiety that I just dumped on you. <laughs> I'm going to bring it down, right? I'm just going to bring it all down. I want to try to uncomplicate it. We're going to look at a very simple passage of Scripture, and it's very powerful. And what I want you to do is hear it and then not complicate it with me. I'm going to give you one key to walk away with today. So I'm going to gently build up to the principle, foundation with this powerful story, and then we're not going to complicate it, okay? Say, I'm not going to complicate it. All right, that was a mouthful. There we go. Here, I want you to go with me to Acts 15 is where we're going to find the Scripture. Acts chapter 15. It's going to be on the screen, but you can look it up in your Bibles and on your apps. So in Acts 15, there's something that's happening. Let me give you kind of the backstory. The leaders of the church, they're dealing with some new, complicated issues, right? So we have Paul, we have Barnabas, we have James. They all converge into Jerusalem, and, and they're supposed to, to come up with the solution to some of the controversies of the new church. So in other words, if you're a Christian, you just spent your whole life being a Jew, if you're not a Gentile. Like, you have all these past things that you had to do, and now you're walking in the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and it's a whole new ballgame. So what do you do with the old? How do you merge those two type of things together? Like, before I couldn't eat certain kind of meats, and now I can. Or that would be forbidden in the past, but now it's not. The really complicated issue is this. If you're a Gentile, right, meaning from a non-Jewish background, would you have to be required to be circumcised? And all the men just crossed their legs and said, not again, Lord Jesus, right? So it's kind of funny. Like, that was the Jewish priest's job, and I'm like, ew, gross. I would resign. Not it, right? But for argument's sake, what if I said to you today, in access, men, the way that you join the church, this is your requirement to get an extra trim job. You would punch me and run out the room, right? So here's what happens. You got to make these weighty decisions for the rest of eternity because you're it. Tag, right? And so weighty theological decisions, these decisions that might determine someone's view of eternity or being turned off by, by being a part of the church or joining or, or giving their life to Christ. Like, so these are what the early leaders of the church are having to make these crazy weighted decisions. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to watch how they make these heavy-duty decisions, and we're going to read their conclusions. And every time that you see the words, seemed good, I want you to say it out loud. So we're going to read it. And when I say, it seemed good, you'll say it with me. Ready? It seemed good. Oh, wow. Good crap participation. All right. Acts 15, 22. Then it what? Seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Jump down to verse 25. It what? Seemed good to us having become of one mind, selected men to sin with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Verse 28, for it what seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Now, so in other words, it seemed right, it seemed good not to raise the barrier, not to give people new hoops to jump through to get to Jesus Christ. 
because that's not what it's about, right? We are called to simply believe, to invite him into our heart, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord with our mouth, and then live for him. That's it. So all those other things are just barriers to getting to him. But what do you do when you don't know what to do? How do you make a decision? Like, if the decision that you have to make is not literally written right in Scripture and doesn't speak directly to the decision that you're trying to make, what do you do? I could preach a message that says, well, just do what seems good. But there's a big problem with that, right? In the Old Testament, there's a verse that says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 14, 12. But it seems right can lead to a very bad spot. So how could both of these things be true? Let's start then with the Old Testament. There's a way that seems right to a person, but at the end, it actually leads to your death, your demise. So if you're taking note, here's the reason why for this. If you're running around with the wrong people, if you're constantly listening to the wrong voices, if you're living with the wrong values, the antithesis of what God's Word says, what seems right will often be wrong. I want to say it again because it's important. If you're in the wrong crowd, if you're listening to the wrong people who have opinions or opinions that are different than what God's truth says, you're on a path to destruction. If you're constantly following the world and letting that lead your values, let that lead your heart and your actions and your life versus spiritual values, and you're surrounding people that don't hear God, don't consider God, don't care anything about God or his word or his standards, dude, if those are the people that you're listening to and they're like, hey, yeah, you should just go do that. Yeah, you should go leave your wife. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's actually going to lead to something that's incredibly wrong. But here in the New Testament, we have all these spiritual leaders and they're saying it's, therefore, hey, let's build the entire foundation of the church on something that just seems right, right? So how could Paul How could James, how could Barnabas make such a weighty decision that just seemed right? Well, we read through it, and there were three game changers in the middle of those statements, and we just read right on by them. Anybody ever read scripture before for like a thousand times, and you're like, you hit it on the thousand and one time, one, one, first time, (laughs) one. It's the painkillers, kids. All right. Like on the thousandth first time, and something just jumps, and you're like, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I do it all the time. You know how many times I've read the Bible? Like, I've lost count, okay? But we pass through things, or we just read gossip over, and we don't hear them, and here's why. I want to look at the same verses. I want to focus on the other stuff besides the just seems right. How could they do what seems right? This is how. That it seemed good to the apostles, the elders, now get this part, with the whole church to choose some men. In other words, this wasn't something that just seemed right to one person or that dude over there, but the entire family of God that were gathering together, it seemed good to them. It seemed right to them. Why? It seemed good to us having become of one mind. Meaning, another version says, of one accord, meaning they were all unified. In other words, the whole church agreed. Then the scripture said, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, right? Not just to us, 
but the Spirit of God who lives in us, who leads us, and under the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit who is near, who is speaking, leads them into making the right choice. In other words, this is so important that you distinguish this, this massive difference between what seems right to one dude over there that doesn't know God that can lead into death, right? Versus something that's right to the entire community of faith that are faith-filled, mountain-moving, devil-punching-in-the-face, Holy Spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ who have been seeking God by prayer, reading His Word, following the voice of the Spirit, two different things. Make sense? Now do you see the difference? If you see the difference, say amen. Oh, Lord, this, y'all, I'm going to stop talking to you. All right, listen. Either I'm deaf out of this ear, you all are asleep. Listen, don't miss it. It, it. It's not that they were able to act on what just seems right based on, like, an ideal from a group, one or two people, but the entire church agreed. I don't know. I don't know if I could pay you all a million dollars to agree on one thing. There's so many different walks of life paths, like journeys on how you got here. It's crazy. So here's the thing. They were all in one accord. They were all in one mindset. It seemed right that God, who is alive and active through the power of the Holy Spirit, says this feels right, tells them to do this kind of thing. This is what I'm trying to tell you is that this is one of the most important things that you'll ever hear me say all year long. You do not just go to the church. The church is not just a building. It's never built a building. It's never been about a destination. The church has always been and always will be in us. The church is you. The church is me. The church is God's people. Yes, you go to a local church building, but we are the church. And when all of God's people are united and all have the exact same thought because the power of God through his Holy Spirit is speaking it to you, I'm pretty sure you're making the right choice. See, if you're saved, you're the church. We are the church. The church is a place not where we just come to get our needs met because I do believe that God meets your needs, but that's not what this place is about. God puts you here. We are the church to meet the needs of the world. Amen, Scott. And that means you, as the church, are walking around in everyday kind of life, in everyday ordinary jobs, all over the people, like all over the place, representing Jesus Christ. And especially here on Sundays, that people walk into this place and they're lost and they are anxiety-ridden and they come through those doors and you just exude the love of Christ because we're the church, that's the difference. That's the game changer. So why is it so hard when we feel anxiety over making a decision? Why is it so often that we just feel this moment arise up and it's just, it's hard to breathe? It's because we're trying to follow Christ. We're trying to please God outside the context of this institution called the body of Christ, the church. See, the church, it's a family, it's a body. It's incomplete without portions of the body being here. What do we do when someone falls? You pick them up. Why do you think I harp all the time and I mention 
G groups all the time. And you're like, what's G groups? That means you're not in one, but it's a small group. Like-minded people, like age groups of life, like activities, find it, connect to one another. It's, it's not a church, hey, get a part of this program, be a part of this. No, it's your lifeline. They are your church family. And, and all of us, whether you want to believe it or not, we all have like the tendency to drift. And it's your church family, your small group, your G group that says, no, 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 no. When you drift, they begin to pull you back in. And they don't let you just walk away and disappear for months at a time. Whenever we hurt, what do we do? We let somebody else pray for us. When somebody else is hurting, what do we do? We pray for them. Whenever there's a need, what do we do? We see that need, we meet that need. We're family. And Paul said, this family that loves each other, that prays for each other, that takes care of one another, every single person in this family, it seemed good. Paul said this wasn't a decision that was made in isolation based on being alone for two years for COVID, based on whatever I just feel like in the moment or intuition. This is the family of God gathered together, recognizing that we believe that God's direction is this way for our church, for our lives, and the Spirit of God is leading us in our unified hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to make this kind of decision. That's the difference maker. If it seems right to just one person, it can lead to death. But when it seems right to an entire community that trusts God on a whole different level, dude, you got a tough decision? Have you talked about it over with your G group? With your serving team that knows you and loves you? If you're not in either one of those, you need to be freed up from anxiety by plugging into a family. Stop trying to live life in your own strength. Don't do life without the church. And when you step out and you plug in, so here's what you can do. Decisions get just a little bit easier because you got somebody to bounce it off of, someone to pray for spiritual wisdom over your life. And then when you make that decision, don't complicate it. What do we do? With a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise. We seek God and we do what seems right according to his word, according to the unction of the Holy Spirit. You don't complicate it. He will lead you. One, be surrounded by the church. Two, read his word. Three, pray your guts out. Then four, make the decision. And if it's anything like my life, (laughs) it might turn out a little bit different than you anticipated. But that's okay. Let me remind you, God is, and always, ordering your steps. Remember the overarching scripture. As Paul sits in jail, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. In the good and the bad, whether you can see his hand moving or not, that does not mean that God is not orchestrating and moving the pieces of your life. He's chained up to a Roman guard, and he is not whining, saying, Man, I didn't make the right move. I wanted to be in Rome as a preacher, to be the, the, the voice that just, is expelled throughout the whole world because of this is the epicenter and I wanted to preach and instead he's sitting chained up to one dude, a Roman guard. But he doesn't say any of that. He says, you know what? What has happened to me is actually, quote unquote, served 
to advance the gospel. How I thought I would be doing this is not how I'm doing it, but guess what? I'm still doing it. And I'm chained up to a different person of influence every 24 hours, and they can't go anywhere. They have to listen to me tell them about Jesus Christ. See, he might have thought, well, I got off on the boat on the wrong foot. I didn't get off where I wanted to get off the boat. But God did something that I could not have done on my own. That's why Paul's the one who says in Romans 8.28, and we know in all things, the good, the bad, the awesome, and the ugly, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, one wrong turn is not going to keep you off God's path, knock you out of his will. He's leading you. He's guiding you. And is as you, one, live actively as a part of his church, his people. And two, you stay in his word. And three, you consistently pray to him. You can rest in the fact that God is at work in your life and he's leading you on the right path because he has his plan, not just a generic plan, but his plan for your life that has hope and a future attached to it. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and the future. Job 23, 10. This is what Job said. But he knows the way that I take. He knows the way that you have taken. And when he has tested me, I will come out of this as pure gold. Psalm 37, 23, the Lord guides us in the way we should go and protects those who please him. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord is the one who determines his steps. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on what you can understand, but in all your ways acknowledge him, surrender to him, and he will make your path straight. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all these things that you're worried about, all the anxiety that you have, all the things that you are doubting and you're afraid of, cast it all onto God. Why? Because he cares for you. What you're worried about, he is concerned about. What breaks your heart breaks the heart of God. I know this message series hasn't been for everybody. That's okay. But it's been for a lot of you. One, because at the end of every message, so many hands are raised, it baffles my mind. But two, I also know this is the generation of anxiety. And I've also heard from you. I've seen it in your eyes, and I've, I've heard it in conversations that we've had. And if it took me a year of going through hell on earth, to learn God's word in a way that would give you hope and it just seems right to me. So in the posture of prayer in a completely different perspective new way of seeing how God works how he moves, how he provides that's where I'm going to stay. That's how I'm going to lead you. And we will do what the Spirit of God tells us seems right. And then we will rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say we're going to rejoice. In the great times and in the low times, walking through the valley of the shadow of death and being on top of the mountain, shouting from the hilltops 
about how God has moved and made miracle after miracle happen, then we will be anxious for nothing. But in everything that we go through, with prayer, petition, we'll put our requests at God and then the precious peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Lord, your peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This has been another podcast of GenesisChurch.tv with Scott Hunter, lead pastor of Genesis Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Tune in each Sunday at 929 or 1101 on YouTube, Vimeo, Facebook, and live.genesischurch.tv or visit us in person at 4070 Mission Road here in Tallahassee. Catch us for weekly messages and midweek interviews and encouragement here on the GenesisChurch.tv podcast.